This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 18. Today discussing Planet With after its 12th and final episode. Since we were not doing the full-spectrum analysis of Planet With, or even looking at each episode, this won't be a grand summation or evaluation of the work as a whole. Instead, I want to look at an interesting bit of visual symbolism from this final episode and relate it across the rest of the work. I think this is a good chance to look at all the different ways a single symbol in a work can be used, as separate aspects of a symbolic element can be connected to otherwise unrelated parts of the story. This is A Flower Grows on Sirius. So as you can guess, the visual symbol I want to focus on is the single flower that they find growing on Sirius. Now, a flower is not the most likely candidate to survive when everything else has been destroyed, right? Soya should be finding a cockroach or a slime mold or something. Thus, I think we should understand that this is not a realistic development, but a symbolic one. A solitary flower flourishing amidst the waste stands in for other things. One of the more obvious things it can represent is Soya himself, who, of course, is the one that finds it. During Soya's last conversation with the dragon, he thanks him for the enforced memory of the moments before destruction. He said it made him remember that his homeland is still right there in his heart. Sirius may have been destroyed, but Soya's existence means it is not truly gone. As he says when finding the flower, Sirius is not a dead planet. Because Soya himself lives on, the people of Sirius were not fully eradicated. He thrives in spite of the judgment the dragon reigned upon them. He blooms in spite of the desolation the dragon caused. Alone, but alive. Incidentally, the dragon is also the solitary remnant of a people. Our flower in this case does not mirror him though, as it does with Soya, but draws a contrast. When they penetrate to the interior of the dragon's psychic armor, they find what is probably his original self, a single living thing amid all the crumbling landscape that surrounds him. He gives a very plant-like appearance, but he is not blooming, not young and vibrant. He seems like driftwood or a dead tree, something that has withered through the ages. He is not a fresh flower like Soya. This is basically a visual representation of that central ideological showdown we had in the final episode. The dragon perceives that he and Soya are the same, that Soya has the same kind of burning drive to exact vengeance and punishment on who he thinks has done wrong, in this case the dragon himself. There was a time when he might have been right, too. Soya's single-minded determination to stamp out the dragon's power on Earth made him reckless and hateful, yet when he thought he had finished his work, he became listless and empty. He would have been right at home as a weathered husk on a stone chair, no life left in him at all. 
However, the second half of the show has largely been about Soya's evolution into someone who has more to live for than meeting out revenge. Ginko and Sensei and Tabasco Hara's influence help keep him in touch with his humanity. The Messenger of Awakening saga makes him face the difference between living in the here and now versus a lost past, and then when he battles against the Generalissimo for the fate of humanity, his journey out of his emptiness is complete. In this way, the flower is not just a symbol for Soya directly, but also the change he underwent. He transformed from a desperate, despondent wasteland into one grown into something lovely. Now, that evolution was possible because some seed of Soya's good heart remained within him. Like whatever seed eventually brought forth the flower, Soya's essential humanity lay dormant under the blasted landscape of his trauma from Sirius. That flower didn't come from nowhere, just as the Soya at story's end didn't come from nowhere. Even though Soya often thinks about his brother in terms of avenging him, the actual character of his brother that lives in his heart is the one who tried to protect everyone else, who threw himself headlong into danger on that fateful day. Given the choice, I think Soya would much rather be his brother than avenge his brother. We're not going to sidetrack into the whole karma thing that the People of Paradise representative brings up, but that does appear to be why he ended up with the form of Soya's brother. That was just the image that Soya needed to be reminded of, needed to grow toward, in order for things to shake out as they did. The seed was there all along, in Soya, on Sirius. It was just waiting for the right conditions to spring forth. This idea of a tiny seed waiting for the right timing shows up in other characters as well. Benika and Yosuke both harbor an unresolved pain over the death of Yosuke's brother, and Yosuke additionally carries an emotional attachment to Benika that does not move forward. It takes the circumstances of joining the Sealing Faction and each facing these feelings that they've kept in stasis in order for them to grow past it. Miyu and Haru have a similar issue, though less severe, as each is envious of some quality possessed by the other. They, too, are able to grow past it once an opportunity arises that forces these emotions to the surface. Another example that I was surprised by was Ginko's hidden wish to thank the dragon for salvation. This was probably one of the more emotionally impactful moments of the finale, all the more so for being unexpected. Who knew such a hope or burden lay dormant inside Ginko? It's a complicated feeling, I imagine. As she says, she does not approve of the kind of violence that the dragon inflicted on Sirius, but at the same time, he rescued her people from slaughter and who knows what else. How do you reconcile feeling both gratitude and horror toward the same action? What kind of guilt might she have harbored at what happened to Sirius for her people's sake? Has that informed her careful nurturing of Soya all this time, even forming an adoptive family with him? It's quite the tangle of conflicting emotions, and something she has kept hidden inside for some time. Once given the right moment to emerge, it is little wonder she has this emotional outpouring completely beyond what we expect from her. It's as unexpected and beautiful as a white blossom pushing its way into a fire-scorched waste. Something similar might have helped the dragon find redemption at the end. His 50-year life as Takashi may have seemed like a dream to him when he awoke, but a tiny kernel of the warmth and familial love he felt during that time had stayed with him. It rose to the surface of his thoughts there at the end, a tiny reminder that he was not so perfectly alone and a nobody as he had often felt. Perhaps this also helped him remember being connected to his own people, 
and would explain why they were able to take him back into the fold, as we later find out. In this way, both the seed idea and its eventual form as the flower can stand in for more abstract concepts, like love or hope. The people of Paradise must have held on to a tiny hope that the dragon could be brought home for a long, long time. Who knows how many civilizations have risen and fallen in the time the dragon's brother has waited for an opportunity to be reunited. That kind of belief needs to be fostered and nurtured just as surely as a living thing, and it seems his brother's love for him was sufficient to the task. Despite the long odds of redeeming the dragon, the brother held on to that hope, even though success was just as unlikely as finding a blossom on a dead planet. Love itself is a fairly central theme in Planet With, which is often stated directly and is often put up against the various ideas of justice that spring up. While I don't think it is arguing that love is the opposite of justice exactly, it's more like the types of justice we see, the dragons, the ceiling factions, uh, Soya's vengeance, all of them are ultimately flawed in some way and can therefore not stand against something as pure as love. Thus, I think there are aspects of our flower symbol that relate nicely to the idea of love and the way it shows up in the series. Flowers are a symbol of beauty, right? And they are also very delicate. They are not the hardy or long-lived and utilitarian parts of plants. This makes them something precious and exceptional, but also something fragile. Love itself can be damaged in a person and can also make one vulnerable. Benika and Yosuke felt pain because of losing a loved one, as did Torai, as did Takizo, as did Soya. Love for her people causes Ginko to put herself in harm's way and abandon her way of life. And then she and everyone who loves Soya risked pain and disappointment if he had never found his way. But our symbol is not a flower by itself, right? It's growing in a hostile, lifeless environment. This flower is not a symbol of frailty, but of resilience. Love in this series is very resilient. Takizo holds on to love for Takashi in spite of what he becomes. Yosuke holds on to love for Benika in spite of how hopeless it must feel. Soya does not let his thirst for vengeance eradicate the love he felt for his people, finally feeling at peace by keeping their memory in his heart. It's quite the moment of character development when he can say to the blasted landscape with no bitterness or irony. The ceiling faction may have lost their way a bit, but the past respect and affection between Sensei and the Generissimo never fully gets eradicated by their disagreement. And Sensei, despite immense pressure and direct conflict with the organization he belongs to, never lets go of the idea of the evolution of love, trying to save Sirius, and the dragon, and Earth. Thus, the last parallel I want to look at is the way Sensei cultivated Soya, like a gardener trying stubbornly to make an unlikely flower grow. One of the first things to happen in our story chronologically is a type of wager between Sensei and the dragon about whether the Ceresians could have become a race of the evolution of love. This quickly becomes more than just a mental exercise when Earth draws the notice of the Sealing Faction. Just like the dragon, they believe that certain peoples are too violent to be allowed time to develop too far, and would rather not risk them following the evolution of power. Sensei saving and watching over Soya with Ginko is then a way of proving that these beliefs are false. He thinks love can triumph over the urge to violence, and he's going to support and shelter Soya to see it through. Thus, when he succeeds, it is more than just winning a wager with the dragon. It is proving to all of Nebula that the evolution of love can succeed, even in someone from Sirius, even in someone as full of vengeance as Soya. 
he doesn't just save Earth, but potentially all future civilizations that may show the potential for violence. Before this careful cultivation of soya, Nebula may never have believed. They probably thought it was just as unlikely as finding out that a flower grows on Sirius. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash Nearly On Red. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.